All right, so we're going to get going here in three, two, one. Welcome to The Hive. This is your host, Brian Wright, and I have a guest today with us, and I have some background noise. Got to apologize. We're actually still training here at the gym, so there's um, some background noise, some weird things going on. But some we, going on yeah, some sparring, because we got some big boys doing work. But I got Dr. Mike with us. So Hello, gang. Mike, we've known each other a long time now. Uh, we met in high school, and that's going back, what, eight, ten, ten years? Yeah. Four years ago, right? Yeah, I'm still trying to get my degree here. Uh, yeah, actually, we did go to school together, but I don't, yeah. we didn't know each other in school. I don't think so. You were a senior when I was a freshman. Okay. And I, then... I beat you up a little bit, I think. I don't... No. You're too small. You weren't on the wrestling team, <laughs> I wrestled after you were gone. Okay. I started wrestling sophomore, junior year. I, I wrestled for a short time there. I wrestled 152 my senior year, so I was probably bigger than you that year. No, I wrestled at 185. But I um, know when you were a freshman, though. When I was a freshman, I was actually throwing shot put, so I was kind of big. Yeah, I was 190 pounds. You were bigger than me? Yeah, I was bigger than you. Definitely. And then you came to the gym, God, it's probably at least 10 years. Over 10 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Over 10 years. We could probably figure it out if we went to the location. No, it was the spot behind Costco. Yes. Yeah, that was, I, I can't remember the, the dates on it, but basically we've been doing this for a while together now. Yeah. Yeah, so we call you Dr. Mike. For what reason, Mike? Well, I'm a physical therapist, and I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. So you've done a lot of work on me and a lot of the guys here. That was one of the the, the main things we did with our relationship we identified real fast that we could use your services yeah um you along with the fighters you have here fun group to work with uh, and the biggest and problem is pulling the reins in on you guys because one you don't listen to what i tell you <laughs> and you do way too much but i i prefer that type of patient. but the thing is you you were we had a, a little bit of history on you because you completely understand it because you did wrestle in high school and you did wrestle in college and you are basically a lifelong wrestler at this point yeah that is correct yeah wrestled in high school at cba and went on to work mason university in fairfax virginia d1 wrestling school wrestled there for four years went to nationals and so i wrestled at a pretty decent level so that you've Competed at the highest level of wrestling for the United States, basically. Um, D1, D1, in, in scholastic, from scholastic wrestling perspective. Yeah, scholastic, collegiate, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I rolled with some good people over the years, and after college, you, you miss that stuff. So, I graduated college in 93, so that's when I started looking for something else to... Did you always want to get into being a physical therapist, or did is that what you originally went to school for? No. I originally went to school not really sure what I wanted to do, and my initial major was business. I had no clue what I wanted to do there. Changed it to psychology. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. And right before I graduated college, my college wrestling coach, Mike Moyer, said to me, he goes, Mike, you know what? You should really check out physical therapy. I think it'd be a good fit for you. And that was the first time I've ever heard physical therapy. I, I didn't know what a physical therapist even was. So basically a mentor pointed you in the right direction. 100%. Which is great. That I love to hear things like that where, because one of my, one of the biggest things for me is I feel that you've got to find those people that understand your 
place. They're people with experience, and they don't look at you as an idiot because you're young, but they look at you and they speak to you the way they wish someone spoke to them when they were your age. Yeah, it was somebody I trusted, someone that seen me sweat, cry, um, highs, lows, knew me. And he cared. And he cared, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I thank him for the career that I have, and it's a career I'm 100% happy with. Some of the most successful people I know are people that had very similar experiences. And it's funny, I, I talked about on a prior podcast, my father recognized young talent when he was first on the rise in his profession. My father's a stockbroker. He was a, a manager with Merrill Lynch, and he, he just pegged a couple guys that never would have ever thought that stock being a stockbroker would be for them, and he just saw that they had the opportunity. Like he just saw something in them, and he said, I think these guys could do this, and they did it. And they're 30 years later, and they're all really successful people because someone saw that in them. And, you know, I've had from my own experience, I've recognized things in people, and some people have listened, and some people have not. But I, I, always, in, 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 I always like to see these kind of scenarios where you do have a solid mentor that helped push you in the right direction. It gives me hope for the human race. Yeah, I still enjoy, I enjoy being that mentor now, and I know for a fact you do also. And uh, we regularly have students in our office at all different levels. We have high school kids that are thinking about going into the physical therapy field. They come in, they shadow, they volunteer. Uh, we have college kids that need hours to apply to a, a doctorate program. And we also have relationships with different schools, Columbia, Rutgers, Miami, different schools, Thomas Jefferson, where they're actually in the doctorate program and they come in and stay with us for two or three months and do kind of internships, if you will. That's great because we're not going to be doing what we do forever and somebody else is going to have to do it. This is true. The, so. the last student that was in last year, she's now working for me. She graduated and she had a great experience and we enjoyed her so much that said, listen, when you graduate, get back here. And sure enough, it worked out. She's working with us for the past three months. She's doing fantastic. This is a family affair for you too, right? Doesn't your brother have? My brother, yeah. My brother Dave. So throw out real quick, your main office that you work out of is what? Only office now is in Oakhurst, it's on Monmouth Road, 255 Monmouth Road, Shore Wellness Center. Okay, because I, I thought you, you had a, didn't you have another location? No, at, at one time I had three locations, but I consolidated down to just that location. Um, Why'd you do that? Um, a couple different reasons. One of the two offices um, was one of my busiest offices and it's a time when some of the laws change with regard to orthopedics and physicians on their own physical therapy practice uh, whereas in the past they could not do it now uh, some of the laws change and they're able to to have um, ownership in physical therapy offices so basically those orthopedics those two or three groups that were really supplying a lot of patients to that one office yeah they said, hey, we can do this for ourselves. Let's, let's refer these, these patients to ourselves. Because a lot of times people get hurt and they go to a doctor or orthopedic, typically for orthopedic injuries. And uh, so now they started keeping the patients for themselves. So that office didn't make sense for me to, to, to keep open. Um, the, the good part about that story is I, I rely so much less on... The good part about that story is I rely so much less on orthopedics now and I've really diversified my referral base so I get uh, um, referrals from a, a much larger uh, base of people so it's like a mutual fund one part of it goes down the other part holds it up 
Well, I mean, one part can go down and you can never find the solution to it, but you, you found the solution for it, which is good. The one thing with people when you do something that you're passionate about your job for sure. You're really into what you do and you, it sounds like it came from a passion place as well. So a lot of times when you're in a business like that, you can lose sight of the fact that it's a business when you, when you do it, but you know, you do have to adjust like any other business would. And you're finding out now because you do have another business, right? Yeah. Uh, last September opened the fly bowls in uh, Marlboro, between, uh, 520 and 79. What made you want to do that? Um, my introduction to pliables was from my then 14-year-old daughter, Bella, and she begged me, Dad, let's go to pliables, and I didn't even know what it was. I, I, I mispronounced the word, and we went there on a winter day at Pure Village, and it was crowded, and I'm saying to myself, but why is this still crowded? It's, it's middle of winter, and we went in, I, I got a bowl, and I said, this, this stuff's really good, and... Um, I kind of looked into the company some more and made, made a connection with the owners, and that's how the relationship blossomed from there. Do you feel, as a physical therapist, you're an entrepreneur? I do, yeah, absolutely. It's your own practice, you run your own hours, you do your own thing, it's really your business. 100%, yeah. I graduated from physical therapy school in 98. I worked for somebody for about four or five months. And I had the opportunity to open up my own office. Were you thinking of opening your own spot from the beginning? Yes, because when I, after I graduated from college, undergrad, I needed some science classes to apply to graduate school. And I, I lived at home with my parents and I took some science classes at Monmouth University. And while I was doing that, I worked at a local physical therapy office. And the woman there, Karen Marzulli, another mentor, she had about five offices that she owned, and she's an entrepreneur. And she really set the model for what I wanted to do. I, when I saw what she was doing, I said, this is 100% what I wanted to do. This is exactly what I want to do. So you, you've been fortunate enough that you've had some really good people showing you the way. Oh, 100%. I, I mean... So I went to physical therapy school after I worked for her for a year and change. And I remember being in physical therapy classes, running the numbers on businesses to think, okay, this is how much money I need, this is how many patients I need to see, this is my profit, this is, I'm running numbers while I'm in physical therapy school. So it was 100% in my head. And then, how, so now you've been a physical therapist for how long? Uh, 20 years. And is Pliable your first business outside of physical therapy? Yes. And... And you know what's funny? Karen Marzulli, she owns a restaurant also. You what? And it was just total. Wait, you know, you know, 2018. This is my 20 year anniversary of doing the gym here. Is that right? Yeah, this is 20 years. Congrats. Thanks. 20 years. But, That's awesome. Milestones. But the funny part about it is, I have other business ventures that I've done over the years, but I've seriously got some really hot irons in the fire yeah. and the commonality what I'm getting to on this was I'm, I find even with Dave Dave's been a lawyer for how long now? Close, close to 20 years also and he also is developing a really solid side project the one thing I find is that when you are an entrepreneurial type person when you're when you're in a passion project like I've been in the gym business because this was my life this is what I do you're a physical therapist and natural progression into it you know, Rocco was a, a lawyer, went into it, and he really put himself into it. I find the commonality end of it is, is when you're self-motivated and you're doing this, you start to see over time that 
the skills that you needed to make your passion from just being a passion thing to an actual business and making a living off of it, you start to see the opportunity in other things around you and you develop the skills and the confidence to then take on other things. And in a lot of ways, it's doing those things keeps us connected in what that original project. 20 years doing something in a long time. And it's hard to stay fresh every single day doing the one thing. And sometimes taking that skill set out of the realm that we normally use it, apply it somewhere else, creates like a balance so that we stay enthusiastic and we stay engaged in the process. The process can be numbing over the years. Uh, yeah, it can be. I mean, I just want to keep learning. That's how I think I keep my head fresh. And I have a, a very good schedule now. I see patients Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I have those kind of break days in between that kind of allow me to stay fresh. Yeah. You know, I have other, I try to keep balance in my life. I've got three children and they're number one priority for me. And, and maintain the ability to provide for them. And they're, they're all teenagers now, and, then, and the two are almost graduating high school. And, so I'm definitely getting to a different stage in my life. When, 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 did you, when did you get married and have kids originally? Married in 98, twin boys in 2000, and a daughter in 2002. How long did you have your, your practice before all that? So, 98 was a big year for me. I graduated from physical therapy school in May. I got married in June. Bought a house in November and opened my own office in December. Yeah. In Red, in Red Bank, where, where I was living after we got married. So, that was 98. And basically, just under two years, a year and a half later, uh, we popped out twin boys. identical wow. twins, Rocco and Dominic. And... Uh, See, I, I did my first decade without any of that, and then my second decade is where my, my wife came into the picture, and then my son came into the picture four years ago. So I I, I have a, a different path on the personal front on yeah, that side. Yeah, absolutely, a little different route. Yeah, a little different route. So, But it is what it is. I'm, it, it works for everybody differently. But some people, I find, will either it's kind of like you grow up all at once where you do it all together and then some people throw themselves completely into their business and then come to their their family side later for me i definitely threw myself into the lifestyle around what i did first and then as my fight career was was coming to an end it was weird then then a personal life became a thing for me but my practice was a little bit different than yours yeah, I mean, I can remember when I was 26. You were 26. Where were you living in Asia, fighting or something like that? I started the gym when I was 24. 24? So you were here. I, I Well, I started the gym when I was 24, and I was traveling quite a bit. That was I was making enough money through the the gym that... You know, I would be in, I would teach, and then I would have a fight somewhere, and then I would go somewhere in the world, and I would go there early, then I would have a fight, then I would stay late, maybe I go somewhere else. Like I just had the ability I could float that way. I didn't, I wasn't tied down, so I got to see the world. That that was the the, the beauty of it. Yeah, I don't think you have any regrets. Oh, I have no regrets whatsoever. By the time I was 27, I had competed in 13 different countries in every state but Alaska and Hawaii. That's pretty cool. I mean, people can say that. No, I but can't say that. my 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 wife laughs at me. She's like, "You've traveled a lifetime worth of travel before the age of 30." Like, I know. The only people do that are military. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the cool part now too is having the opportunity. I'm doing a lot of these trips for uh, another. Uh, I'm doing a second round of traveling now, and I get to do it with 
the crap of athletes that I train. So I did it the first time for myself, and now I'm getting to do it with, you know, guys that no one's following in my footsteps because it's a totally different world in which we compete in now. But there's opportunities now. Man, these guys are loud, aren't they? I don't know if I want to straighten them out, but uh, we've got Big Corey out there. I don't know if there's any straightening them out. So Carl's Carl just. He just does not care. He can talk with the best of them. Yeah. But, yeah, no, having having an opportunity to see the world again from a coach's perspective is not just an athlete perspective. Is definitely – it's it's fun. You get to see the changes in the world. But it's also fulfilling because I know that the work that I did, I'm doing with somebody is giving me the opportunity to get outside of that bubble that we can get stuck in and they get to see a bigger world out there. Yeah. You and I talk the same language. I, I took my boys as best uh, – Last year, actually, June 2017, I took the heat, which is a place I've been to a couple of times. I went down there um, with uh, some Catholic charity groups, some missionary work, and I thought my boys, 17 years old, they're ready to see it and can handle themselves with what they're going to see and, and, and kind of get out of the little bubble that they live in and get a real dose of reality and what poverty is. And, so, Haiti will definitely let you know what poverty is. That's it. I mean, it's the worst poverty I've ever seen. It's, it's rough. When I was 21, I competed in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I went to Venezuela, and we went to a place called Puerto La Cruz, which they considered to be the, the, the high-end vacation area of Venezuela. Right. But I remember we flew into Caracas, and there were chickens in the airport. It was insane. And then we took a charter flight out into the middle of nowhere. But the craziest thing was this town, they're talking about how high end this is. This town was messed up. And the poverty level was insane. It was, so it was either you were super wealthy or you were dirt poor. Typical, no middle class. And we're in the hotel and you would see smokestacks rising and they said yeah the people are revolting because the city turns off the water and the power in certain intervals and the people are burning tires in the street to tell them to turn it back on and then we had the chief of police came to the building and he rounded up those of us that were competing he said give me all your american dollars and i'm gonna exchange your money we're like no we're gonna go to the bank and he was like no you don't understand and he pulled his gun out and he put it on the table and he goes give me all your american dollars (laughs) So we basically got robbed by the chief of police in town. And then the worst one of all, this is craziest, they shot a kid and they left his body in front of the hotel to warn us to not screw around in town. I would take that warning seriously. Yeah, that was, we we were, we were, I I don't even, we were shell-shocked by what was going on there. We didn't want to leave the hotel. It was, it was really scary. It It was scary. And then uh, the other one is they, they, so we competed down there, and then afterwards, you know, after you got to let loose a little bit, so they have casinos, and they told us, don't worry, we're going to get you there, and they took us in these armored buses, basically, to a casino, and my luck, the one time in my life that I'm actually doing well in a casino, this guy comes up to me, and he goes, hey, man, you need to start losing. I'm like, why? I'm doing great. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You see those guys by the door, and I look over, and there's these really rough-looking dudes, and he goes, they're going to kill you and take your money when you leave. He said, lose big 
and make a scene about it. Let everyone know you're broke. Give all of your money up to the casino before you leave. And I literally was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm, I'm betting every wrong bet possible. Fill my pockets inside out. Walk by these guys. Hey, I don't know what happened. I lost all my money to the casino. And they were basically saying, you're lucky you didn't get killed. You're that lucky guy. that guy uh, recognized that situation and gave you a little heads up. Well, I think they all work for the casino and it's a scam they were running to get me to lose the money. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, I would rather get scammed by the casino than killed in an alley in Venezuela. So, yeah, that was that was one of those eye-opening Well, you know, when we went, when we went to Haiti, another high school buddy of mine who works for Google now on the West Coast in California, and he, he met us down there and he bought a bunch of Chromebooks because we wanted to go to some schools and give these uh, uh, Chromebooks away. And sure enough, he gets pulled off as soon as we get into the airport in Port-au-Prince, and uh, they take him. They just they first they take his passport, and I was guest passport. Now you you have to do whatever they say, otherwise you're stuck. So not only do they take his passport, they say go into the bathroom. Oh no! <laughs> now, these are two guards with with machine guns, AR-15s or something. So he has no choice. He goes into the bathroom with them. He's not sure if he's going to walk out, what they're going to do to him. Long story short, he, he has to unload some money out of his wallet, and he leaves, gets his passport, gets the computers, and goes. Well, at least he got to take the computers. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't take those from him. I find that interesting. You took your kids down there to give them a real understanding uh, of things, and, and that's worked out well because you've got some successful sons. Boys are doing well. My What's the name my, of their company? Because Colossus Media Group. Yeah, they're doing a really good job with uh, everything they do, from website design to uh, videography, um, live streaming events. Yeah, you gave me their card, and I checked out their stuff, and they, they're really talented. Oh, it's 100%. How old are they? Uh, they're 17. Are they going to go to school for this, or are they going to stay in the business? They're definitely staying in the business. Uh, that's a are they going to do both? Right now, yeah, probably a little bit of both. And they've done some legit stuff. Like they produce work for Google. They do a lot of local work for places like Armani, Monmouth University. They, they've had some of their ads appear on the largest billboard in Times Square. It doesn't, honestly, I, I have an odd parent-to-parent uh, -parent talk time. I, with education side of it, I'm not a huge fan of education for those that really understand what I'm they sure want. I'm sure they would love to hear that from you. I will not have this conversation with them. I will have it with you, and then yeah. you can do what you want with it. But for me, when you when you understand what your passion is, and you are acting with a solid purpose, and your natural abilities are enough to make you successful, I say go for it. You're only young once. You can always get an education. But you only have that fire in your belly to build something while you've still got and it. And they have it. And uh, right now, I mean, they're, they're not stopping there. They're, uh, they have, um, they're mining um, uh, cryptocurrencies right now in the basement. They've got a bunch of rigs set up. So did they get the hustle from you? I think they get, they get that entrepreneurial spirit that their motivation and desire to succeed is going to outweigh their fear of failure. Did or you that fear of failure burn lights a flame under their butt so much that it forces them to work to make sure that never happens? How much do you think of that is just instinct, or how much of that you think you gave them? I think it's combination. You know, part of it's the personality. But did you make a priority of that? I made a priority with them to not micromanage them. I want okay. I want them to flourish. I want them to think independently. I want yeah. them to make their own decision, and I will let them fail a little bit to learn and. 
And, and you know what? They may think differently. They have a younger, more creative brain than I do. Maybe they're going to find a better way to do it versus me telling them how to complete a task. And I give them a lot of freedom. It, you know, I still protect them, of course, but I think that freedom was something that played a significant role in, in their creativity and their desire to to do things that most kids their age are not even thinking of doing. I find generation of parents too. I think people in our bracket that are raising kids are more more inclined to be this way than maybe our parents were. Where. I think the the idea of what the American dream is and the opportunity that the country represents is different, where before I think it was more of a conformity model, where now it's more of a wide open model because technology has really changed the opportunities out there. My parents and your parents didn't have a thing in their pocket that could answer every single question. Where, I, I mean, for you and I remember having to get up to change the television. My son will never know that. My son is four. My son will never know what it is to have to watch a show at a given time and day. You and I knew that if we missed it, we had to wait until the season reruns in the middle of the summer. And yet, you hoped that you caught it. I used to lay on the floor in front of the TV, a couple pillows under my head. I was lying on my back. And I would take my sock and shoe off, and I could put my foot on the TV, <laughs> and I could change the channel with my toes because I was too lazy to get up sometimes. Did you have the push? Bu- did you have the cable box with the cord to the TV and the push buttons? Yeah, and on the left you had the switch. You had three positions on the left. You yeah. had like maybe twelve. Buttons. Yes. So yes. you Essentially, had thirty-six channels. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! I, and then think about it. Our our kids may know a time. They may not need to drive after a certain point. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, those cars are out already. They're, they're, they're just going to become more prevalent. My son, my son may never drive. Technology's moving so fast. My four-year-old son may never drive. My wife's pregnant. We have another one coming. So in June, that son, definitely, whatever the hell world he's in, it's going to be some crazy augmented reality situation that's going to be very different. Well, they don't know how. To, they don't need to know how to spell. They don't need to know how to write in cursive. There's a lot of no. things. That you want to know the, the cool part about what you and I both do is neither one of us will ever be out of work because technology cannot replace our skill sets. That's a great thought. Yeah. Technology is never going to be able to replace your hands-on ability to manipulate a damaged body. Yeah, your hands-on. That's my best tool right there. My mind and my hands. There's no robot that's going to be able to have the sensitivity that you do. There's going to be some sensor that's going to help you understand more probably. There's going to be some technology that will help you diagnose quicker, understand what to do. But ultimately, I don't think anything's ever going to replace the need for human contact to solve the problems that you saw. And fighting is fighting. Combat sports are combat sports. I mean, your cell phone's not going to help you get through my class. You're not going to get cardio. You're not going to kick and punch any better. You're not going to take a punch. You're not going to be able to do any of it better. You're going to actually have to physically do it. Yeah, I mean, I just I got here a couple minutes early. I'm I'm seeing some of these younger guys in here, and I I don't even know who they are. I talked to them. How long have you been here? Oh, three months. How is it? Oh, it's great. I'm learning so much. I'm getting a great workout. Uh, It's fun. So, I mean, look at those three qualities that were just expressed to me literally 15 minutes ago. I have people that that are, are, they talk about how technology is this overwhelming force. And I don't, I don't like to go in down that rabbit hole of thought where we think, 
technology is stopping us from being able to do anything because I think it, it's just part of the human condition. We can't completely remove physical activity, the desire to have actual contact. I, you can't take that out of us. So I think we always need playgrounds like this to come in and actually do something. So I, I don't care if it's lifting or if it's hitting something or rolling with somebody or whatever. And that's like wrestling. Wrestling's never going to be anything more than a mat, a pair of shoes, and a singlet. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's never going to be anything else. Well, MMA filled that void for me, that physical component to yeah. my working out. I mean, I can lift, I can run, I can do that stuff. But I miss that physical component, you know, pushing, getting pushed, you know, that chess game and just the physical nature of what the sport is. Do you still coach wrestling? I, I don't, know. I completely Your brother was a coach? Uh, he still is, actually. He, he's been at CBA for over 10 years now as a volunteer assistant. Nice. And they're very fortunate to have him in there. He's an incredible technician. Do you ever wrestle? Do I ever now? Yeah. Rarely. The last time was probably in here. When okay. Last time I rolled in here. You got into your, what was it, uh, American Ninja Warrior? You were trying to get on that? Yeah, just looking for another fun adventure to, to take part in. And I like having goals, and that was something different, and a new skill set. And uh, I, I liked it. And I, my brother and I actually put in a, submitted a video together, and you really don't find out if you're on the show until maybe you know within a few weeks of the taping so you had to train as though you were going to get selected so i put pretty good energy into training i joined a rock uh, a rock climbing gym and i would regularly travel an hour plus to go to a uh, facility that had a lot of the ninja obstacles there and although i never got selected to be on the show I don't, no regrets it was still fun and uh, you know definitely made some good progress after you got out of college and you stopped wrestling did you feel like you were missing something you know what? My identity changed, and I was okay with that. I was always high school and college. I was the wrestler. And so when I got into grad school for physical therapy, it was nice to not be known as that. And that, you know, I didn't really kind of talk about it. Wrestling is an all-encompassing thing. It really does become who you are when you're in it. It's very hard not to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of components to it. It's a level of physical commitment and mental commitment that most sports, I'm not going to say most sports don't have, but a lot of sports, you have a commitment to it, but uh, it's a combat sport. I think most sports don't have it. Because wrestling, though, it's like the, the the physical toll that wrestling takes on you is different. Yeah. And... I don't know too many sports. I, st- I think that the grind of an actual wrestling match is still one of the hardest combat sports. There's no stall in it. It's go. It's go. And it's it's you don't have to worry about getting hit. You don't have to worry about getting submitted. It's just a physical... You can still physically get beat up, though. No, but that's what I'm saying. It, I mean, you're not going to get... Well, hopefully not get knocked out. No, but I'm saying the reason it's so hard is because without the combat finishes, when you're scrambling for that pin, you're putting everything you've got into this narrow lane of physicality, and it's just two bodies that just can't stop smashing each other to get that finish. It's it's grueling. It is, and then of course you've got the whole weight and, and nutrition yeah. component to it. And you know what? You're making weight twenty plus times in three months. Yeah, and if your team's small, you have to switch weight classes. That was my problem at CBA. Is we when I was wrestling there, we didn't 
have anybody from 57 to 80, 80, whatever it was. It's so long ago, I can't remember what it was, and the class would change. So I would wrestle at 57, and then the next week I'd be wrestling at 80-something because the coach would make the determination of who was who was the better matchup for me. You were a good team player. Yeah, so I literally I would get fat, I would get skinny. I'd get fat, I'd get skinny. It was terrible. But the one thing with combat sports, I think the most – difficult aspect of combat sports are the ones that are limited like boxing you can only punch above the waist and all you can do is punch and then you have kickboxing and depending on the rules or where your target areas are and whatnot but with mma mma you can do everything so you don't take as much you tend to not take as much focused damage that you do in other sports with wrestling where i was saying you take away the other aspects of combat sports and you're just focusing on that narrow lane that makes it that much more grueling because you're doing one thing 100% without having to worry about all that other stuff so you can even go that much more all in and that's why it's such a grueling sport and that's why I think a lot of sports are grueling knockdown karate you've seen us with the bare knuckle karate how grueling that sport is but you take away the head contact the amount of body contact quadruples bare knuckle body shots because you're standing forehead to forehead smashing away not worried about getting you know punched in the face you just punching the hell out of the body so yeah the the differing of rules makes it different i mma is a whole other level of hard it's different it's a different hard it's not boxing hard because it's not boxing it's not kickboxing it's not kickboxing it's just different hard so and the damage from a physical therapist point of view uh when you see the damage that guys take in different sports what do you think is the most physically damaging sport long-term detrimental so you're saying long-term say taking out the traumatic stuff like the uh 15 year old soccer player that gets um their legs cut out and they tear their acl i mean that's like the traumatic incidents yeah and those are very common too so we're not we're not necessarily seeing those patients where it's a long term type of thing. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think the, the pros far outweigh, outweigh the cons. Yeah. With everything that goes along with athletics, um, something maybe more you know in the last ten plus years is with the baseball if they're playing year round and they're just throwing so much. The elbows, the right? Knees, the shoulders, the elbows, yeah. stuff like that. And then you're seeing these surgeries. On younger and younger kids, and you know, I think the pendulum starting to shift the other way because they really can't. The trends have gone in a negative way that they're they're shifting it the other way now. So you're seeing a lack of variety is causing kids to get injuries. Like they're getting overuse injuries that they would would not have had previously. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the eight or ten year old kid that's specializing in one sport. My daughter, she's 15, until ninth grade, she played between four and five sports where other kids were cutting down to one or two and going the specialty route. My philosophy with her was, and part of it came from me as a former athlete and also from the physical therapy perspective, I wanted to create the best athlete that I could. And then, really, if she's going to be a collegiate athlete, then she's, she's cutting down. You know, maybe in high school, she's cutting down to two three at the most, and then if she's good enough to be a collegiate athlete, then she's going to drop to one, maybe two, or who knows. But if when you're talking about creating the best athlete, you're talking about 
a well-rounded athletic human being instead of someone that can only do one thing that's you're right. creating somebody that's versatile i want somebody that's got great coordination great balance great hand-eye coordination great proprioceptive skills good endurance good strength good flexibility i want i wanted to do everything and she was doing it she was swimming she was running she was playing soccer she was playing basketball she was playing softball she played all these sports it's funny i had a conversation jay titlebaum came in the other day and we sat down on the podcast and the one thing we were talking about was that with because he's into strongman now and so he's doing strength and conditioning in a different way than he ever did before. But one thing we were talking about is I found there was a thing about boxers, like the, the most conditioned, best boxers focus a tremendous amount in the weight room and the conditioning room on pulling motions because they push so much in the punching so that they were trying to create a balanced body so that they were more protected. Because from what I've read, I'm, I'm not a physical therapist or a doctor or anything, but I read as much as I possibly can about things. And I was finding a lot of literature saying that if you only do motions that that mimic your sport, the over usage problems you get in your, your joints and the tendons and whatnot, you, you create, so you get overdeveloped in one way and the weakness on the opposing side actually diminishes your power, reduces your longevity in the sport. So as someone that's punching often, I started focusing more on pulling, and that actually made the the counter motions I was having to do with my body when I was punching that much faster. My shoulders were not bothering me as much. It helped me out a tremendous amount. Yeah, and you're trying to get balance. Yeah. So instead of doing push-ups all day to make my punches stronger, I was doing more pull-ups, and I was doing rubber band work, and I was doing lat pulls and different things like that. And then my physique got more balanced out and then my shoulders stopped hurting as much the one thing that i still can't figure out why i don't know if it's me or whatever but the one problem i ended up having later on in my career when i broke probably 30 is when it really all started to go to shit for me was if i did jujitsu and striking on the same day so if i if i rolled for an hour and then did pad work i had shoulder pain that was unbearable for days after. But if I just did jujitsu, I was fine. If I just hit pads, I was fine. So, I mean, the good thing was you figured out what you could do. It was impossible not to figure it out because it hurt so much. But from your experience, does that sound like what 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 could is that two different usages of the body that are too extreme for well, each other they don't balance well it's funny because the most common problem we see in, in the office is spine related issues neck low back pain yeah and the majority of those spine related issues are non-traumatic in city onset there was no traumatic incident that set it off we get those two you know we get the car accidents the slip and falls i lifted this oh i felt the pop but the majority of those spine injuries are people that come in, oh, you know what, I just woke up with it, and it was kind of stiff, and it kind of hurt. And then, you know what, for the past four months, it's been getting worse. And going back to you're talking about being in different positions, we tend to flex and round in our spine. Like right now, you and I both were sitting, you a little hunched, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of neutral, but they've done studies where the average person bends forward of a neutral spine position more than 3,000 times in a day. Yeah. We don't go backwards anywhere near All right, I'm adjusting the mic in my chair, so I'll, I'll sit better because I want to make myself look better here. Brian's heard this posture talk before. But before, because you understand the problems I have yeah. from what I do. Yeah. 
So, yeah, a lot of the, the people are in because of the postures and positions that they made throughout the day, that they remain in throughout the day, and it, it, it's, they're, they're bending and flexing and rounding too much, especially when they're sitting. I got a question. Mm-hmm. One motion that I've read a lot of negative stuff about mm-hmm. is the overhead squat. And the reason people – yeah, the one where you have the weight straight up over your head and then you squat your butt to your heels. Now, the, the, the reasoning that I got – that I've read from multiple sources was that it's a rigid and a flexible motion combined, which just creates a nightmare for back problems. They're saying that the rigid it's, you need the flexibility in your lower back to squat your butt to your heels, but the rigidity of your upper body. So it was two counter motions that were causing back issues. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever rule that motion out completely on everybody. There are certain people that probably shouldn't do it. There are certain people that absolutely, it's a great exercise with great benefit to them. And there's certain people that will have to do it with a modified technique. And that, but and then the 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 big issue though was the duration and the weight people were using to do that motion. Duration, so, like how long they're doing. What? So you're you're doing the heaviest weight you possibly can for a long period of time. So you're doing it for six. You're doing as many reps of it as you can for a minute. Or longer, which is tends to be the CrossFit, and I'm not shitting on CrossFit because I think that they get a lot of benefit. But there are times that it scares me to tell somebody do a deadlift as many times as you can in a certain amount of time. Like I don't care if it's 10 seconds or it's 10 minutes. I don't think there that's a motion you race on. Yeah, I mean the physical therapist in me would would want to instruct and educate the uh, the, the patient or the athlete on when they need to stop the movement. They may be able to do more reps, but they need to stop the movement because, one, they're losing their lordosis in their low back, their lumbar spine, meaning they're losing that curve in their low back. And once that happens, you're really uh, opening yourself up to okay. the possibility of some injury. But let's talk about this for the wrestler you, not the, the doctor you. Oh, the, then if it's the wrestler me, I shut, like if I come in here and you're... you're no, but, but CrossFit's, CrossFit is a competition. It's a competitive oh. workout environment. So you've got a room full of people, and you're trying to see who can lift the most weight the most times in a certain amount of time. So that, to me, just philosophically, it's really hard when you say education. They speak about education all the time. But I think it's very hard to tell a human being that you have to be perfect and you have to win. Yeah, it's tricky. I'm not going to argue that. So, I mean, obviously in training, you want to you know, know where you should be and where you're stopping is, but if you – Put someone like I consider myself to be competitive, and you put me in a something a competition where I really care about it, and I feel like I put a lot of time and effort into training for it. I'm I'm probably gonna go and let the You're competitive cheat. spirit take over. You're gonna cheat a little bit. Uh, no, cheat's got a negative connotation. I'm gonna go until I fail, one way or the other. But what? I, but from a lifting, my body but, will start. Okay, but I'll start losing my form a bit. But from a lifting perspective. When you lose your form and you start cheating on the lift, yes, you're going to cheat a little bit, which means you're going to get outside of your normal, the you know the the prescribed technical range of motion, and you're going to run the risk of hurting yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. I do it in normal workouts. You just turn it. I off. just want to get the weight up. I don't care because I'm competitive with myself. Now you stick me in a room full of people. <laughs> totally different scenario. I'm probably going to hurt myself that much more. But that's uh, Carl just. Turn the lights off again because he thinks it's funny when he does that. <laughs> this is probably the third podcast he's done it, and it wasn't funny the first time. It's still not funny. I don't know if it'll ever be funny, Mike. Carl. 
Carl. Classic Carl. Do you remember Carl's first day when he came in here and he got submitted two times by David Rocco? Wow. I'm glad Carl left before you said that. <laughs> but I don't know if you should have actually said that. You should have just left it as he got submitted two times because no one knows David Rocco. And if David Rocco ever listens to this, Look up David his, Rocco. his 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 uh, ego will be sky high tomorrow. He paid me $100 to say that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm easily surprised. And you're cheap, so you take it. Okay. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that I find that's so hard is it, your business is, is uh, kept open a lot by that competitive human nature. I, do you find that with functional training on the rise that you have a lot of people, uneducated lifters, doing things that they're hurting themselves more? Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Is that is that some, how long how long have you seen that trend increasing? More so in the last five years. Yeah, I would say. Because you can go to your local gym and they've got a functional room now. Now they've got kettlebells, they've got medicine balls, they've got battle ropes. Yeah. I I battle ropes are one too that I read a lot of things about battle ropes where basically you're subluxing your shoulder if you go More really battle hard. Battle ropes are the way you swing it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a fan of doing all this fun training. I like it, but do it intelligently. Beat your body up and let it recover. That's the hard part. Yes. You got to let it recover. Well, the bro science guys don't don't want to listen to the reality that if you're in peak physical condition, you literally can sit around and do nothing for 14 days before you're going to lose any performance. Yeah, people don't understand that. And mentally, they feel out of shape after, you know, whatever, a day or two. Yeah. Carl and I, the way I train with Carl now compared to the way I trained with guys when I first started, and even myself, I never allowed myself rest because I felt rest was weakness because I was trained that way. Again, you've got to put it in perspective of the time. In the in the 90s, it was a lot different than today. And the amount of information we have available, again, I didn't have a cell phone in 1995 that told me anything I needed to know. I couldn't go on T Nation and read about solid training routines and understanding different things that you have access to now a lot more information at your fingertips no doubt about that i mean think about what youtube has done for people even i mean youtube's hurt people but youtube's also given people a resource where you can find the athletes that do it best doing it and you can pick up your pointers from it and it's just a whole nother world i think the training is more fun like i would love to do some of this stuff now when i was in my prime athletic years I think it, I think there's better athletes out there now. That's the one thing. And it looks just fun to do a lot of this stuff, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Do you see a lot of people in our age category? Because we grew up in Generation S. Like, we definitely came up in the steroid generation. Do you see a lot of people with injuries in our age, like in the 40 and 50 category, that have issues from, you know, basically trying to use sports performance drugs for their recreational workouts? I can't really say I have. I, I, I'm always curious about that. No, I'm always interested in, 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 in that component too, but honestly, I haven't. I don't know very many at all. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a couple people that I train now that have really bad physical problems because of the steroid abuse that they did because they wanted to get the look to go to DJ's or Barre on a Tuesday night. Well... I, I, I mean, the stuff works, there's no doubt about it. So many professional athletes do it for a reason, but, you know, risk-reward, and I don't know. I, and and you got to think long-term, and I'm by no means an expert in that topic, but 
there's a lot of people doing it now that are yeah. our age, 40, 50 plus, and they do it to hopefully get, get to feel better, to sleep better, to think clearer, to perform better, to enhance. I'm not a proponent of this, mm-hmm. but I've read quite a bit about it because in MMA in particular, we're coming out of a very dirty time. Like before USADA, it was crazy. And that TRT stuff was just everybody was on something at that point. But the the one thing is if done correctly with a doctor who really knows what he's doing, there's not – I don't see any long-term negative effects a lot of people are talking about. It's the people that are buying cheap stuff from China and then doing a program that they found – you know, in the back of a magazine are the ones that are hurting themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think the anti-aging doctors are getting into that field more. And uh, I don't I know. I know some people that do it and they enjoy the benefits that they're getting from it. I mean, listen, who wouldn't want it? I sleep better. I, I've lost some body fat. I put a little muscle on. I think better. My sexual energy is up. I mean, who, who doesn't want that at any age? Yeah, for I actually... I'm uh, natural, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Is I tend to just try and watch what I eat and whatnot. And I'm not a big supplement person. The one supplement thing that I did like, and I know you were on it too, was the enzymes. I really like the whole idea behind enzymes. Digestive enzymes, yeah. I, I did. A, I did a nice stint with that. My, my energy was through the roof when I was doing it. When yeah. I, what was it? Protease was the big one. Protease is one, and then. I, I, I think we went to the same guy for that. Yeah, I found that when my when I was on the enzymes and my digestive system was best. Yeah. I just I I couldn't believe the energy that I yeah. had. Digestive enzymes, protease, and their probiotics, stuff like that. I mean, all natural, which I've always been. Same for you. Um, I, I just go back to the basics. A lot of people yeah. want the shortcut. That's why. Was... How about just get eight hours of sleep a night you know when your growth hormone is released and your body refuels and replenishes and releases chemicals to repair when you sleep how many people sleep eight hours a night and the thing that kills me too is we've gone through a time where it's almost in business in particular in the entrepreneurial space you get a lot of people that almost brag the limited amount of sleep they get i'm not down with that i'm not down i slept eight and a half hours last night i slept like a baby I fight myself over the fact that I don't think I sleep enough. It's a problem. I mean, my family life is when you have a four-year-old with eczema, my sleep is not because I'm not trying. My sleep is because my, my son needs to be taken care yeah, of. Certain it's certain different. When my, yes. when my three kids were under the age of four, I wasn't always getting eight hours sleep a night, but now I regularly average it. I really try and make sleep a priority. And should, should I, be. And I do with my wife as well because we just function so much better when we have rest. 100%. I think as a nation, chronically undersleeping. I don't think that's in any news I'm breaking there. And the the one with, with, with diet too, you're shredded, I'm fat, so I shouldn't be talking. You don't qualify as fat. Ah. But the, the thing I've... So I really got into the paleo thing for a while and I got off of it because it was difficult to maintain and if i was cheating the penalty was too high like if you i would go without carbs for so long that when i would eat carbs i'd break out in a fever and get goopy gut for 48 hours i just didn't want to live like that Mm. so i had to work carbs back into my diet so that no matter because for me my schedule is a little crazy so i can't eat perfect all the time and i don't want to 
be sick when I can't eat perfect. Yeah. So I have a certain range which I allow myself. But the one I found was as long as you keep your calories in check, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it's carbs, if it's protein, if it's fat. It doesn't matter in terms of my overall body weight. But my energy, my body composition matters from the source. But I'm not going to go above 200 pounds if I'm not – if I stay under 2,000 calories, I'm staying under 200 pounds. Yeah, you're keeping the math pretty simple. You know, certain amount in, certain amount burn off. Because I, the one I get with the bro science guys, I, I want to kill them, is they act like calories are different. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I try to – but an inch get a certain amount of calories in and a certain type of calories. But calories are a measurement. Calories are not a thing. You don't. A, you can't buy a different calorie. It's like an inch is an inch. The calories like the amount of energy required to raise water one degree Celsius, I believe. So the thing there is the people that are like, oh, the calories I get from chicken are different than the calories I get from a candy bar. But I'm, but the the body weight side of it is. If you eat 100 calories of anything, it's 100 calories. If So if you eat 3,000 calories of chicken, you're still going to get heavy. So, you, you can't eat – there's no difference in the measurement side. But overall health and, again, your composition. So if you're, if you're having a – pro- yeah. If you're having a protein-rich diet, if you have the right balance of your carbs, your proteins, your fats, yeah. and you're supporting your body that way, then yes, you're going to have the ability to produce more muscle. Like if you're not getting enough protein, you're not going to be able to get muscle. But the guys that are eating the protein shakes on top of their normal diets and then compl- – I don't know why I'm getting fat. Well, you just ingested a 2,000-calorie protein shake on top of the 4,000 calories you ate today, and you're only working out for 2,000 calories. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah, so basically if you're eating great things in great ratios, if it's still too much. It's too much. You're going to gain weight. The health food store is the number one place you're going to go and gain weight. That's funny. I see people go to the health food store and they're buying bags of natural chips. And Well, you would maybe eat the small bag of Lay's, but you're eating the the garbage bag size of the organic blue chip because you think it's organic and better. That's where people get lost on these things. And that's where the marketing comes in and really distracts people. And that's why right now, this time of year in particular, we're at the New Year's resolution point. All these people trying to clean up, do whatever, do it different. And I'm like, I'll see you in February. See you in February when yeah. you you're, you get real about this. Yeah, I get a lot of questions on the nutrition. It's outside of my scope of practice, but I'll talk to some of my friends and stuff. I just try to keep it simple, as I'm sure you do. I When I speak to you, is this also – I'm not speaking to you as a physical therapist because yeah. it's outside of your practice. I'm speaking to you as an active human who's got athletic experience and is really understands pushing his body. So I just want to preface that so no one – uh, yeah, no, misconstrues uh, the information. You're not speaking as a, a nutritionist yeah. here. You're speaking as it's just Mike. Just Mike. Just Mike. Chat. You're here tonight. Mike and Brian chatting, talking about stuff. You're not. You're not representing anything that way. So yeah. So, so stop eating all that sugar. No the sugar out there. What blows my mind is you. You see the data on sugar, and then you look at the data on fat. The 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 data on fat's all bullshit. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with fat. Put the sugar. I eat fat every day, almost every meal. And if you don't eat fat when you eat meat, you can't digest the meat. You need the fat. Yeah. So when people are eating all these lean cuts of meat thinking that they're saving themselves from getting fat – I mean look, your parents probably have it. Your mom is probably like my mom that way. They were raised in a generation where they were told that fat makes fat. 
Nah, not my mom's kitchen, no. Really? We had fat. Well, you're Italian. Yeah. There's a difference, I guess. So she would have pig skin in the uh, virgil sausage meatball. That's every <laughs> Sunday. It's my mom sauce. still... She won't eat anything with fat on it because she thinks it's going to make her fat. No, no. I'm like, you can't digest food if, We're not if you don't eat no, it. We weren't scared of fat or meat. The one, too, I've been reading about is that combinations on food is really one of the big things, too. Is Like one of the worst things you can do is put red meat with a carb. You just can't. It just screws your body up. And then the other one is digestive fiber. If you're, if you're, if you're using like an additive fiber like um, Metamucil. Mm-hmm. If you're taking so, Brock Lesnar, for people that follow MMA, he got diverticulitis, and people were saying that he got diverticulitis because he was eating so much meat. But now it's coming out that it wasn't that he was eating so much meat; it was that he was taking dietary fiber with the meat, and the dietary fiber was basically scratching the inside of his his of his digestive tract, right. and the meat was getting stuck within the pockets that the scratches were creating. Because if you look. There are diets. I mean, have you ever heard of the carnivore diet? There are people that literally just eat meat. They don't eat vegetables. Oh, no. I don't know that. And they're extremely healthy. There's some number. I don't know if it's true. Everybody has Google. You can go figure it out. But there was something that came out that 90% of the people that live over the age of 100, their primary source of food is is red meat. Mm. So all this stuff, you have to be vegetarian once you get older or whatever. I don't know if I believe that. I think we're carnivores. Yeah. Um, but I think the balance of how we eat is the most important thing. Yeah. I always say smaller, more frequent meals. Eat enough now. Do you know the data on that, though? On is what? That the smaller, smaller frequent meals yeah. for an, an inactive person, it's the results are negligible. The difference. I find, well, for me, I find that keeps my calories in check. I'm never hungry. I'm never full. I'm, you know, I'm in that middle range. So I'll eat, I eat enough a few hours later. I get a little hunger. I eat some more. I think the key is you have to find what works for you. Yeah, yeah. You ever seen that study with the uh, CAT scans where they took a CAT scan of an uh, individual with uh, on cocaine and an individual with a lot of sugar in them? It was the same. It lights up the brain in the same way. Same actually. way. I think the sugar actually lit it up even more on the CAT scan. There, there is uh, another one too. There. Another one that blows my mind, social media usage releases dopamine the same way drugs do. Yeah, I believe it. So that when you see that someone liked one of your posts, yeah, you course. get high off of it. Or you get the, the noise of the, uh, uh, the um, notification. goes off on the phone. Ooh, got a and that's why we literally get addicted to our phones because of it. 100%. I think phones are going to disappear in time because I think the people that created all this are realizing that they made a monster. And I think that with – Voice technology changing the way it is and the way people are talking about integrating, you know, augmented reality into our clothing. Our, our entire world is going to be changing soon. I mean, Toyota at CES has a has a self-driving office, basically. It's a big box that you can literally make anything you want. So if you didn't want to have an office and you want to have a mobile practice, you have this box that you could put your practice into and it's self-driving. So you can literally work on the way to an appointment, you could pull up in somebody's driveway and treat a patient. Well, telemedicine's happening too. Yeah, that I actually we we my wife and I use that the teledoc. Uh-huh. I like that. I'm, the only problem I have with teledoc is that you can get drugs without anyone seeing you, and I think the overusage of antibiotics is a problem. 
And the one thing they just keep doing is telling us, oh, yeah, get an antibiotic, get an antibiotic, get an antibiotic. My ear hurts. They didn't look at my ear to see if it was swollen. What happens if I just slept funny and my ear hurts? You got me on an antibiotic. Mm. I used to take antibiotics more when I was sick. The one I got issue with, you probably did too because you've got kids, is uh, when they first start going to school and they get bring every sickness home. Did you, get, did you run through that period? Um, a little bit. My kids are pretty healthy for the most part. I was sick for two years. <laughs> no joke. My son was going to – we started taking him to school rather quick because my wife and I both work and his immune system was still developed. My son gets sick easy though. So he was getting these ear infections, and he was sick, and he would sneeze, and the next thing you know, I would get sick. My wife never got sick. It was just me. I got sick. I literally was on and off sick for two years straight with my son. It was insane, and the doctor kept giving me antibiotics, and I was wondering why my stomach wasn't my stomach wasn't right. I was having it just it was a bad time, and then I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to ride this out, and then I stopped, and I haven't taken an antibiotic. I said that now. I'm going to probably get the flu and need some shit next week or something, but I didn't take them for like a year, and my stomach got better, and my head felt better. It was weird. Antibiotics are scary shit. Not healthy. Now I'm healthier. I feel like, but I, I feel like I needed my immune system had to take care of itself. I think I was not giving my immune system the time to figure out my environment. I was trying to fight it, and I was just weakening it. Yeah. Well, that's... That's a possibility. Sounds like you're, you're listening to your body. I think that's the key for a lot of it is we just have to listen because our body really does tell us what's up. Yeah, a lot of times from a physical component in, in the physical therapy office, it's always a question. Every single patient, I'll, I'll, I will ask them, okay, your pain is in your elbow. Well, let me ask you, what positions, what movements, what activities make that pain worse? Stop doing them. Well, that, <laughs> but, that, but that asks the opposite question. What what positions, movements, or activities make it feel better when it's bothering you? Do those things. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I do keep it that simple. Your body but it tells is you that, what to do. But everyone's looking for the magic thing because the thing that's hurting them is the thing they don't want to stop doing. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean. A lot of times, yeah. And then, okay, so take your spine, for instance. The people who flex around and have poor posture way too much. I give them a movement that they have to do repeatedly over time. And I show them in day one how, wow, it feels better already. Wow, great. They come back two days later. How does it feel? Same. Well, I told you to do that uh, 10 reps six times a day. How many times do you do it? Once or twice. I'm like, my back feels fine. Here's the information. Do what you want with it. Yeah. If you do it, it's going to feel better. I've already proven that to you. I'm, I just, I don't know. What, I can't get inside your head. Why wouldn't you do it? If it, feel, if it makes your back pain go away, why wouldn't, you do, why wouldn't you do it more? I find the majority of people that I run into live in denial of what it takes to be successful at pretty much anything. So relieving pain is just part of that. And then, and then that type of patient will say, go to the doc, can I have a pill? Yes. Give me some yes. pain meds. Well, the one thing I've always liked about the way you work with us is that you're – I'm not going to say you're conservative, but you're more along the lines of let's get the body aligned and let's see if it can repair itself before you want to start getting too invasive. Yeah. I mean I, I, there are definitely times where you need to get invasive or you need to get surgery or you need some other treatment that I can't provide you. But I guarantee you we will explore the conservative means first because the majority of time you're not going to. To, to need that yeah, the majority of the time that I've come to you, it's just because I'm bent out of shape, not broken. Like nothing snapped on me. I just have been in 
a bad spot. And usually I would get trauma, which would put me in a position where I was functioning differently than normal. And then everything got out of alignment and then everything started to hurt. And then you would basically nudge me back until proper movements. And then magically it would all start to work again. Yeah. Well, you just have to undo everything that's taking place. You, You went through the exact thing that happens. You have some little bit of trauma or some repetitive strain or overuse type of thing. And then it hurts to do that, so you change the way you move, you walk, you sit, and and some compensatory things take place as a result, and you get some other pain, some other stiffness. Yes. So we have to undo all of those things. Yeah, I have a guy that was just in class tonight. And he was complaining about how his back starts to hurt when he kicks, and the one I find with that is, you know, there's we've had this conversation about it before. Like a lot of times, you're not hurting your back. What's happening is you'll be straining a muscle in like your butt or your upper thigh and it's pulling your back sure and so now your back's not hurting because you hurt your back your back's hurting because the things around it are so tight it's pulling your back out of position which is causing pain so your body's telling you hey you've got something you got to address here that's the fun component of my job i like being a detective and solving that puzzle getting the pieces of the puzzle together and i have to get them from you you're if you're a yeah. patient you have the answers i have to ask the right questions to elicit those answers that are going to help me put that puzzle together that's the fun part for me that doesn't get old from my end i enjoy doing that and I'm then not. you get the dickhead who thinks you're you're uh, you can read minds and they think you're a mind reader and they're like i'm not going to tell you figure it out <laughs> we occasionally get some troublemakers through there but you know what they're fun too everyone can fix the easy easy patient you know give me that challenge you want i'm, I'm fine I'll, i will take that challenge on I don't. I, I have no plans on retiring. I want the the option to retire because that means financially things are great and I don't have to worry about it. But I do not see myself retiring, especially as long as I'm physically able to do the job. I want the option to retire, but I, I, I love going to work. So the one problem that I get and a lot of the guys get is that golf ball sized lump in the shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. What causes that? For most people, posture position. I'll take a picture of you right now. We'll post it right now and show how rounded and oh, it's terrible. head you are right it's now. It's terrible. You look like you're hunching over. Well, I am hunching over because I want to be near my microphone here. My microphone setup sucks. So he, he don't, look, don't get mad at me. I don't normally the, sit like this. The it. microphone Stop it. is adjustable. It's got three arms. No, but this is – this is. It can, it can uh, I just got killed. All right, fine. He, he I'm going like to I'm I'm ship like now. He looks like he's – it out in the um, Arctic, and he's hunched over a fire trying to you know, get warm. The crazy one with with that is that when I'm holding pads, that happens more. When I'm not doing a lot of pad holding, like when I'm out of camp with a heavy hitter like a Carl, I tend to be okay. But when I, for some reason, when I'm holding pads, it this starts to happen. Look at the position you're in. You're kind of in that fighter's position, chin tuck. Arms are up here. You're holding the pads. You're rounded. Yeah. You're forward, and you're absorbing a lot of impact. I'm more Carl's throwing. You're in here, and, and it, you're, you're is that, in a great position to be in. So is the is the impact making? I don't. Is it because I'm standing in it so much that it just becomes the position that I'm naturally starting it's to go to? Like you get some shoulder issues because you put yourself in an impinged position. Bad. Yeah, the soft tissue yeah. structures between the head of your humerus and your acromion, the tip of your shoulder blade. There's some structures in there, and they're getting pinched on repetitively. I have really bad elbow issues from holding, and the one thing I really had to start cycling my holding because there there was a while that I was holding. I mean, I'm doing 20 to 30 rounds a day 
five, six days a week. I was doing that for years and my elbows just got destroyed. And then I finally got to a spot where I had to start cycling and on, uh, I had to really give myself some off days. I, I, I need at least two days off a week in a row. I can't do, I can't do five days straight. I can go day on day off, day on day off. And then I'm going to need two days or else I can't. I can't even open the car door because my elbow hurts so bad. Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier. I'm okay with you beating it up. Just let it recover. Yeah. So you were beating it up. You just weren't letting it recover. I'm not getting younger. But yeah. it's but it's funny. By treating – I don't think I'm tre- – I'm not going to say I'm treating myself better, but I'm, I'm cycling smarter than when I was younger. I actually feel better doing what I do at 44. I'm not 44 yet, by the way. I'll be 44 in March. But going into at 43, I feel better than 33. 33, I was a car accident. My I I I was doing too much, and I really was I was destroying my body. I'll never forget. My wife and I got together when I was 34, and she was like, "You're crooked. We need to get." She brought me to a chiropractor. She literally cried when he started doing tests on my mobility because she was working in a physical therapist office and she understood a lot of what was going on and my inability to function freaked her out and seeing what I was doing to myself put that look on her face actually made me adjust what I was doing and then I started a different protocol of taking care of myself and you've seen me over the years when I've had certain issues come about but I haven't been as bad as I was because I definitely well, that's where Definitely. strength can become a weakness. You have the mental strength to push through things that yeah. most people would have stopped a long time ago. So your mental strength actually can work against you yeah. at times. My my endurance, my ability to endure pain definitely gets me in trouble. Yeah. But it's also gotten me everything I have. Yeah. So double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. And, and during uh, athletic event, competitive, or during competition, you can, you can have that switch on and you do what you have to do to get where you want to get. I feel like the endurance that I had in athletic competition crossed over to everything I do. I feel like I can endure more punishment and more pain than anybody else. I just feel that way. You put me in a room, I feel like I can last longer no matter what it is. I agree with you. And when I, a resume comes across my desk, it instantly gets my attention. If they were you know, an athlete, whether it's high school, especially if it's, it's beyond high school, if they're a college athlete, I said, okay, this kid's got my attention. Yeah, college athlete definitely is a is high school, whatever. Everybody can play a sport in high school. But to make a collegiate team actually is a whole nother. That's a, that's a different story. Yeah, I agree. You're going to have a certain work ethic, hopefully. You're going to have a certain discipline and a certain mental toughness and a certain competitive spirit, which... Typically, that applies well to pretty much any job or position. I find with athletes, the weird one is if they do post-college athletics, they can become a prima donna if they get to that next level. professional. If they start – well, even semi-professional. I know a lot of people that will – it's there's there's semi-professional and then there's professional. There are people – you know, there's the NFL, but then there are people that stay within sports, that they stay – um, I had one guy in particular. I don't want to go into details because he'll know who I'm talking about, and I don't want to do it to him. But there's like it's certain people that they stay involved in sports past college, and they and it's just the spotlight at that point changes. But a collegiate athlete who is a scholastic athlete that is going through the education process while functioning athletics, 
And then once they graduate, they graduate into the professional realm in terms of business and life outside of sport. Those are the people that I, 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 there's a different fiber to them. The ones that have that balance between the education and the scholastics, the ones that strictly stay on sports. Um, sometimes they lose the, the education side of it, uh, but the ones that find that balance between education and sports, and then they, then they, they evolve to that next level. That's different. Um, Sports definitely creates a level of mental endurance for people that gives them the ability to push and is absolutely an advantage over people that don't have that. Especially working with people on a team, listening to a coach, Mm -hmm. working with your natural skills, acquiring new skills, having targeted goals. There's just so many positive things with it. Same same for military. Take a veteran. Someone that's been through some mental and physical challenges. Yeah can work as a team you know a lot of same um qualities come out of that individual as an athlete i think i was talking with i forget i think it was jay i was talking about it with it's funny though with the military side of it depending upon what their function was in the military it will be their role some people are extremely good followers because of the military some are good leaders and some are creative thinkers it all depends upon the role and then i have a guy john here who does conditioning and he's it's really funny he he was a navy guy he hates to be told what to do because all they did was tell him what to do in the Navy. So he's had enough of that. <laughs> so every time we tell him to do something, he does it different. Yeah. And we just know that's going to happen. If I say do 10, he'll do 9 or 11. He'll never do 10. Yeah. You show him how to do it, he just tweaks it just enough to say, no, I don't want to be told what to do here. I have to be an individual. There's a classification for that for kids these days, I'm sure. What is that called? The uh, defiance disorder yeah right? well there's disorder i think for everything now yes, sure. i think even being successful is a disorder in somebody's playbook nowadays that's possible yeah i find that uh one one you have what's your age range on your kids my boys are 17 and my daughter's 15 okay definitely different world for them than what we had at that time yeah i agree a lot like the school, the, the, the level of, I don't know, just the information in school is very different now. The way they deal with society is different. The ideas they, they, they talk about, I mean, hell, we went to CBA. We didn't talk about any social issues. I mean, social issue. I mean, give me, give me a social issue you can remember talking about. Gosh, going back a few years now, I'll be Brian. No, but think about it. But there's nothing memorable sticking out where we talked about stuff that they talk about today. They definitely talk about a lot more stuff. I'm sure we spoke about some, you know, some of the religious... Well, we never talked about gender pronouns and stuff like that. Anybody really was then. No. Definitely talking about a lot more issues now. Yeah. I agree on that. I don't have a problem with it. I think that... I don't have a problem with discussion. I think that everything just has to be grounded in reality, where I think a lot of stuff that gets talked about today... Is to it's it's to further somebody's agenda that is not necessarily grounded in truth, and that's where I have issues. Or you take micro issues and make them, and try to attempt to make them macro problems just to further something. I don't know. I think there's a there's a lot of challenges that our our kids get faced with. I don't know necessarily if they have to get faced with them. That's where these social issues get a little weird for me at times. Yeah, I have a feeling you could you could talk for a while on the, on that topic. Yes. Am oh I my right? God! Could you imagine if Dave was here? 
Maybe it's a future show. I know. Maybe that's a future show. That one would be that would be a pay per view one though. I'd like to moderate because I think I could really stir it up pretty good. Yeah, I think you could stir it up pretty good. For sure. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. The one thing I I do enjoy about sports in general and especially in combat sports is that none of those things matter at all. I mean, you looked at my mat tonight. How many colors are on my mat? How many what? Colors. Oh, we had a few, definitely a few. I I got Indian guy, black guy, white guy. You know, I have a Hispanic person. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we didn't have was an Asian tonight. True. Absolutely. You know, men, women. Teenagers, adults. And no one knows or cares what your education is, what your income nope. level is. It doesn't matter. No. Can you hit the pads? Yeah. And, and you can't tell by the way they're dressed either. You really can't no. judge them in any way. You're a sweaty, tired mess. <laughs> That's all. We're all equal. Yeah. We're all equally struggling. That's sure. the one thing with beginners that I, I laugh. When people come in, they worry about what other people on the mat are going to think about them. And I keep trying to explain to them that nobody's thinking about you because they're just trying to survive this round. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care because they're dying too. It's true. You're technically suffering. They're physically suffering. You'll be physically suffering once you get the technique down. It's just – it's no one's sitting here saying, wow, you – you're you're disrupting me because you know you don't know anything. They're they're just like I hope I hope you follow along and you catch up and you know we'll yeah. go. But it, there's no big judgment zone here because you can't. The workout's too much to have that pause. Yeah, there's great camaraderie in here. That's something. If I've been away for a little bit, as soon as you come back in, it's the first thing I think I miss. Like oh, I want to I want to get in there. I yeah. want to hang with these guys and girls men and women and and train with them and, you know sweat it out with them do what they're doing i had this one guy mike i'm not referring to you as another guy named mike he drove by the gym when we were in asbury he drove by for six months before he could come in because he had this misconception that he was going to come in and we were going to beat him up or something fear yeah fear scared to death of what it could possibly be yeah. and then he came in and then he, he was 40 something year old guy never trained before never got in a fight in his life yeah. and he thought he was going to come in and we were going to knuckle up with him and beat yeah. him up whatever and then the after his first class this is nothing i thought it was going to be i'm so glad i finally made the decision Good and then him. he's he's been with us for i mean a good decade at this point wow. That's great. And and he's the first one to say, if if you have this this weird fear or apprehension, make sure you do your homework before you allow this fear to set in because it may not be real. It may be based on some false reality that you saw in, yeah. in a movie or something. Well, that's a lesson I've tried to give my kids is don't let fear of failure stop you from attempting. And obviously do your homework and prepare. Whether it's as simple as raising your hand in class and asking a question or – venturing into a business or a new business or meeting someone or asking a guy a girl out whatever your ne your your su your next success makes everyone forget all the failure yeah you what what's one thing in common between when i say these two names reggie jackson and babe ruth they struck out a lot you know that story, you son of a I bitch. I don't, but I know they both struck out a lot. I don't know what story you're going to tell. Most people go to, oh, they were they were the home run kings of their time. 
Reggie Jackson and Babe Ruth had the home run records of their generations, but they also had the strikeout records of their generations too. You're the first person that's actually ever seen the strikeouts first. Maybe you're a negative thinker. I don't know. we got to work on no, that. No, I basically that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the, they held the strikeout records, but the world really knows them as home run kings. Good Aaron Judge. He struck out a lot this year. I don't follow, I don't follow baseball. So 99. You're speaking another language to me right now. i got to check this out. You love this guy. Humble guy, hardworking guy, 6'7", 282. Get out of here. He's a beast. 282? That's what they list him at, 6'7", 282. Why is he in the – that sounds like an NBA number. He could be NBA. He could be tight end for the NFL. He's a great athlete. He struck out a lot, but he hit a lot wow. of homers. Hit a lot of homers. It's funny. When when uh, you have a young child, I know much more about the Lego movies than I do about anything else. I know MMA. I know the Lego. I know Lego Star Wars. Actually, no Star Wars. We saw. Did you see the new Star Wars? Listen, I am not into Star Wars, but all my brothers are. And last weekend, one of them came over. We watched seven. And went to the movies and watched eight. And the last movie, Star Wars movie I saw was probably whenever Empire Strikes Back came out. Did so? You saw the Last Jedi. Yeah. Did you like it as a movie? I did. I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not crazy into Star Wars. Like I said, the last time I saw it was. 20, 30 years ago, but I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. Were your kids into the Marvel movies, like Iron Man and nope. all that? Uh-uh. What are your kids into? Working. No, but when when they were younger, what were they into? They oh, they did love Legos. The like the Big Lego time. movie and and that they or never Legos into themselves. Movies and series and yeah. TV. They never got into TV. They never played video games, and it wasn't my doing. I actually bought him a video game because I thought it'd be cool to play. PS4, my son loves PS4. That's one of the things we do together in the morning. Yeah. I actually get up early in the morning and we play. We have these Lego games on PS4 yeah. and we play them together. So we have Lego Star Wars, oh, Lego Avengers, totally cool. yeah. and it's like our thing. My wife wants to kill me for it because she comes in in the morning, tries to talk to us, it's and we yell at her. It's something we're doing together. That's it. You can never. I mean, no. It's the best thing. Yeah, and it. He doesn't do it for eight hours a day he does it for 35 40 minutes yeah, with me in the morning perfect. and that's what we do and we do it before mom gets up and whatever so listen that's the most precious commodity we have is time yeah you know we can work more we can make more money time you don't get it back and especially with your children they're only that age one time i thought i had a job until i had a son and then i realized the only job i have for the rest of my life is father that's it Everything else I do is kind of a hobby. It's a great rewarding job. It's the best. So it's it's the best thing that ever happened yeah, to me. I mean, like I I don't think I I'm I always see what you post online with your child. It's very obvious. You know the relationship you have with them is Brian Junior. Man, the time come on you now. Put in. And I named the gym after him. Nobody, not a lot of people realize that. Somebody the other day was Killer Beauty. Oh, your name's Brian. What? What? You're a killer? I'm like, no. My gym was named Real Something or Other Forever. I mean, it started off as Real Martial Arts and Fitness, and then it became Real Mixed Martial Arts, and then it just became really, you know, we were yeah. branding it. And then when we moved from Asbury to Ocean, my wife was pregnant. At, no, we had Brian. My wife, when she was pregnant, Brian was kicking her to death. Literally the last month, all I saw was a foot sticking out of her stomach all day and just beating the hell out of her. And it, it, it was just really funny. Um, uh, we started to call him Killer B because we were going to name Brian Jr. anyway. But then I started calling him Killer B as a joke. And then we were moving the gym back into Ocean Township. Right. And I just – I remember I'm driving in my car and I called my wife and I said, hey, um, you don't get to rebrand, like really rebrand 
too often in life. So this is a different chapter. I'm in a different place. I'm doing the gym different than I ever done it. I've kind of evolved. I think Hiller B would be cool. And immediately she's that's a really cool name. And then I threw it by a couple of the guys in the gym and like, yeah, black and yellow, Killer B, this could be interesting. And then I came up with a logo. I I, I put together the B logo myself and whatever, and then everything went from there and it 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 was just one of those things that just felt meant to be. But yeah, my son inspired us to rebrand and I like he, it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, totally reorganized how I looked at life being a father, for sure. You were a father young. I'm a father late. Twenty eight I started. Yeah, I started yeah. I started forty. <laughs> a little bit different. So Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I joke about with my wife. I don't know, she probably smacked me in the mouth when I say this Uh-oh. one. But I no. Whatever. I I I said uh, I got married later in life because I skipped the ex wife and went straight to the trophy wife. See, it's a good thing. That's a nice thing to say. It's a nice thing. You're you're good. You have a great relationship with yeah. your wife and uh, I think you're you're at a good maturity level to handle what you know, a child brings to you. If I did it younger, I don't know. I was, I was nuts in my 20s. Yeah, I know that feeling. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first had kids. And I'm, so, I mean, I like to, I think I'm a good father. I think I'm a very good father. Um, but I definitely worked at it hard. I, I think you're, because you're, you were older and more mature when you, when you first had your son. I think you, you start off at a higher level than what I did you want to know the thing for me too uh, I don't think I resolved my own issues from growing up until later and mm-hmm. I think it was better I had things I had to work through with my upbringing mm-hmm. and I did so by the time that I became a dad I was in a much better place understanding my own parents and my relationship which allowed me a, a, a much better starting point. I went into this without confusion. I really went into this understanding things pretty pretty deeply. And that that so I make when I make decisions, I'm not guessing. I'm really coming from a place of understanding what the parental child relationship is about. And and that was a big thing. So I didn't ha- I don't have it's not, you know, this big massive whatever thing, but I just matured at a different rate in understanding my family. So, so some of the issues and problems you may have had or challenges you had, you learned from them and you benefited you and your relationship. My parents got divorced my freshman year at CBA, yeah. and I went through a little bit of a, of a weird time with that and then went to college. And uh, it was just it was a, it was a hard eight years for me after that in terms of just trying to figure it all out because – I knew things one way, and then it has changed. At a time, it changed at a time of change. I mean, 15 years old. It's a you're. It's a weird point of maturation to have to go through that kind of upheaval. So I went through that, whatever, and then I can I can readily say that 27 was the some weird thing at 27. Any any ill feelings I harbored towards my parents for anything I went through through their divorce, which was, it wasn't any fault of their own. I'm not sitting here saying my parents screwed me up on purpose. I, th- I don't think any parent honestly screws up their kid on purpose. I like to think not. I would like to think that. I think they, I think we all do the best we can with the information we've got. Hey, I readily admit I was a good coach for the time 
in the 90s, but I was a shitty coach compared to my standard today. So I think for all of us, the evolution of understanding of things changes in time. I think my parents did the best they possibly could for me while trying to do the best they possibly could for each other, and it is what it is. And it took me a little while to come to an understanding of that. And yeah, I had to let a lot of shit go and just basically grow up. You, you came to the present. You, you know, yeah. You learn from the past. Absolutely. You're living in the present. Uh, yeah. People have trouble doing that. They, they live in the past. They don't like other things. Well, it was getting in the way of stuff. And I just had to say, I can't allow it to get in the way anymore. Because there were things that I cared about. But again, that's where the passion and the purpose part makes sense for a lot of stuff. Because I got to this place where I cared so much about what I was doing. I had to address anything that was getting in the way of what I wanted to do. So I just addressed it and I dealt with it. Well, that's good. Yeah. And, and the funny part about it is, so I tell you, at 27, I got kind of got over it, but I didn't really get, I got, I gave myself permission to get over it. And I don't think until like 33, 34, did I really get to a place where it was over. And the funny part is, when do you think I met my wife? Right, right at that point, because you know, uh, when you're ready, the things you need reveal themselves. Yeah. I think I think it's it's funny the parallels between everything we talked about excuse me the parallels we'll always talk about it's always the same thing it always comes down to really understanding your body listening to what it's telling everything is understanding who you are listening to what you're you're telling yourself and actually listening to it and taking the advice it's giving you and becoming more connected and centered with yourself so you can make decisions that are appropriate for you and everything you're trying to do. I mean, that's all you do with people is really is you put people back in a position where they're at their nat most natural state. And that's where their physical success comes from. Yeah, yeah. Trying to keep balance. From As a physical therapist, I'm teaching how to maintain some balance in their life from a physical perspective. But it's my kids. I try to make it a variety of ways: academic, physical, social, emotional, spiritual. Blend all those things to try to get some balance in their lives. And you're doing it with another business now, and you know you're finding that success. I, I, you, you, you've gone through your own, you know, struggles and had to go through your own stuff too. I'm not going to go into your personal stuff, but we've all faced our own, our own things. And it's funny when you. When I, I, I was talking to – I have a guy here, Trent. He's a professional race car driver, mm -hmm. and he's 22. I said, when I was 22, I thought I knew everything. Hmm. At 32, I thought I knew everything but was questioning it. At 42, I realized I don't know shit, <laughs> and I'm really okay with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what gives me the ability to actually make more intelligent decisions. Because I take, because I I found humility with experience. Oh, I agree on that. I've learned humility over time and experience. Yeah, that arrogance of youth can get oh. in the way of our ability to, to 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 grow. Yeah, I know. It's definitely had an impact. It <laughs> contributed to some questionable decisions and you know, but yeah, I've learned from it and moved on. I don't beat myself up over it. I've learned. You just nailed it. You just nailed it. You don't beat yourself up over yeah. it, and you learn from it. I mean, don't get me wrong; it wasn't instantaneous. No, it no shit. Well, there's there there's time. definitely some self mutilation that you go through because yeah. making mistakes are really hard to admit. Yeah, yeah. But when you when you when you get to that point, you can you can. I hate. I don't like to. It's not accepting as much as just dealing with them. I mean, you do have to accept who you are and what you've done, but. 
you can't accept it without without uh, accepting. Sometimes becomes it's like oh that's just who I am. No, it's who that's you were. Excuse, it's yeah. who you were. Yes, you have to accept it for what it was, and you have to use it for a foundation to become what you want. I agree on that, and I've I've told my children some of the mistakes I've made in my life, and I've told them I I, I apologize to anybody I've hurt or uh, for things that I've done that I, I regret or whatever the case was, and uh, let's say no, I'm human. Dad makes mistakes. Dad owns up to his mistakes. Dad yeah. take, accepts responsibility for those mistakes. He's learned from, he's moved on, and he doesn't allow those mistakes to happen again. Yeah, that that's owning your I, – I mean, I really own it for me. I have to. I just own my mistakes because it's just so much easier. Trying to defend a bad position just doesn't make sense. It's just wasted energy, and nobody's going to be better for it. I agree. I don't want to be right at my own expense. That's yeah. that's kind of the way it is. Thank you, Brian. You're getting smarter as you get older. Uh, I, think I, I think it was always there, but – Sometimes I fought it. Well, you're not alone. No. Well, but that's the arrogant side. The arrogant side is like it's weird when when you're young and arrogant, you're not introspective enough to recognize what's actually going on. When you when you even if people tell you, yeah, they're wrong. Yeah, you're right, or at least you think. It's crazy. It's crazy. What's who who said the? Was it Socrates who said that youth is wasted on the young? <laughs> it was one of them. It could have been Marcus Aurelius. I don't know. He was yeah. pretty intelligent. Did you ever read some of his stuff? If you get a chance, read the quotes of Marcus Aurelius. Really, really intelligent human He's being. Got some good stuff. Very, yeah, very solid leadership. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So, are you a reader? At times, I'll go through spurts. Do you read fiction, deep shit? What do you read? Um, I, I like reading the most. I would say. I don't want to say self-help books, but like uh, kind of motivational mind, stuff. Mind-expanding stuff. Yeah. I like like what? Give me, give me, what's your favorite one there? Um, oh, here's a good one. Let me see if I can get the name of this right. How to talk so your kids will listen and how to listen so your kids will talk. Wow. I just love that title. I don't even have to read the book. I'm I just you, love that. That I am that writing book. that down. Phenomenal. We are going to – okay. I will find it and I will put a link up in the comments on the podcast here. That's amazing. That's an amazing title. It's great. And and it's so spot on. And it not only is extremely effective with your children, it's, I use it in my everyday life with adults, with patients, with friends. It's phenomenal. It really taught me how to listen. Wow. If you ever want a good read, I read a book when I was 18. It's, it's called Musashi. By Yoshikawa, and it's the fictional work about Musashi's life. A lot of it is Miyamoto Musashi is one of the greatest samurai of Japanese lore. the The book is as much fiction as it is nonfiction. It's a real combination of both, but there's a lot of major lessons about being well rounded, taking on adversity. It's a guy who was a peasant who rose up to samurai class, and it, it, it was a really great journey and there's just so many different experiences that they convey that it just were really practical for me mm-hmm. so me the kid coming from cba i'll throw out my my religion my lack of religion motivation due to this book it's my last story and then we'll get off this this uh we've been going for a while here but so musashi was going around the country and he's picking fights with people because he's trying to test his skills so he picks a 
fight with the head of most of the sword schools in area. So he goes to this town, picks a fight with this guy, and they're fighting with wooden swords. And the guy came at him a little bit too hard. So his counter was really hard, and he ends up braining the guy with a wooden sword and kills him. Braining him? What does that mean? Stabbed yeah. him in the head? He crushed his skull with a wooden sword. Uh-huh. So hit him really hard in the head and killed him. What's a wooden sword? Okay. So. Didn't mean to. So he's like, oop, I didn't mean to do that, but I won, so I'm good. So he leaves, but the school's pissed. So this guy's students are now, we got to find this guy, and we've got to kill him. And the guy had a son, but his son was really young. His son's six or seven years old, but he's now the head of the sword school because he's the son. So the guys put a challenge out. Musashi's like, okay. And they're like, we're going to meet you in the field at 11 o'clock tomorrow, and you're going to fight us all, and you're honor-bound to do it. And he's like, okay, I guess so. So he's on his way to the field, and he sees a Buddhist shrine. And he goes into the shrine, and he lights the incense, and he gets ready to pray. And he stops himself, and he goes, whoa, hold on. I just figured it out. I'm done. I'm not praying anymore. Thank you. You get What the point that came across to him was, was that there was no need to stop and pray because... The life he was given was the gift from God, and his actions in life were his prayer, not the words, not the not the uh, practice of things. The thoughts. It wasn't even the thoughts about it. It was that accepting that every single thing he did was moving prayer, and that he didn't have to stop and have a conversation with someone that knows everything already. There's a book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and there's one of the statements that says, when you die, you don't go get in front of whatever it is, and it's not like you go to court and you get to plead your case, because they know everything already. The judgment's already been passed. It was called your life. Mm. And that's really the motive, that's the point that Musashi got to, and that was a huge thing for me coming out of, especially a Catholic school upbringing. I, I got in this space where I really identified with action being the most important thing. It's not words. It's not thoughts. Intention matters. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that will differentiate everything is uh, our actions. And I think what's cool, and I know you're, 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 you're Kristen, and one of the things, I didn't know you went to Haiti with a charity, and I didn't know you took your kids there and stuff. And I think that's really commendable. Because for me, just because you go to church on Sunday doesn't mean you're a good Christian. I, I think that it's understanding your place in the world, understanding your purpose in the world, and if your understanding of God and your religion is part of that, that's fine. I don't begrudge anyone that has religious beliefs. I just live my life in a particular way. I have my beliefs, and you can have your beliefs. But if you live according to your beliefs, you will always get my respect. If you just talk about your beliefs and you go do something else, I, 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 don't, I don't respect that. So, don't be a hypocrite. Yeah, basically, <laughs> in anything, yeah. in anything, I don't give a shit what it is. If we're talking about God, or if we're talking about freaking kickboxing, I don't care. Yeah. And let me tell you, going to Haiti, I tell you, I get more out of it than what I, whatever help I offer people there. And I, I think it's hard message to get across. The first day we're there, it's a hundred degrees out, we're sweating our asses off. We're we're helping build this water filtration system, digging a deep hole, putting big rocks in there. We're dying. We're like, oh, this is day one. We're like two hours in. I don't know if we're going to make it. But these guys are working right next to you. And you're like, I'm like, 
I'm not, I'm not giving in a second. I'm gonna, <laughs> I actually said, I'm going to outwork these guys. I, I'm going to represent, like, down, I'm coming down. That's the competitor in you. Yeah, and I, I swore, and I did. And and that, so that was day one. Day two, 7 a.m., we're in Mass, and it, there's, it's, not, it's not even a church. It's like a little outdoor kind of, um, um, what do you call it, um, chapel. Yeah. And uh, we got seven bodies on the ground dead bodies on the ground in front of us because we're doing a funeral for them. They're not even in coffins. They little car- three cardboard boxes, seven bodies. Do the math. The, 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 none of them was over age of 10. So, you know, and, and maybe there's four bodies in one just because they were infants that maybe died at birth or got dropped off at the hospital and no, the parents went there. So that's basically 24 hours of being there. That's, that's what we all saw. So wow. that's the smack in the face. That's reality right there. You know, it's funny. When... You asked me a week ago, hey, what are we going to talk about? And I really felt like this because you opened up this other business and you've got this entrepreneurial attitude about stuff. I thought that would be kind of the thing that we would go into. And the Haiti thing um, rang with me real early. And uh, then when we're talking about being competitive and we're talking about being a scholastic athlete and we're talking about all these different things – I, I think the most interesting part for me is to see the evolution in this for you as being somebody that you, you're a competitive athlete, you have really solid mentoring, which I didn't know about. So you, you had a drive. You didn't know what to do with your drive. Good people helped you figure out what to do with it, and you did it. But people gave to you, and then you gave back, and you've used your drive to – do something greater than just your small bubble, your just your business or whatever, and having a global view about how to be competitive in a way that leaves a positive impact. I think that's really interesting, and I like that. That's that's a, that's a really cool thing. I didn't know that. I this is I didn't know this about you. So yeah, I'm glad we had the conversation. And it's for still sure. almost selfish because when I do these things, I get rewarded. It's a mutual. I feel good, but about it's a, it's fun. It's a mutually beneficial trade. Don't it's yeah. it's not exclusive. You're not doing this for you. You don't go to Haiti for yourself. I would never fucking go to Haiti uh-huh. for myself. <laughs> There's got to be some compassion in you if you're going to fucking Haiti. <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. No, there's definitely compassion there. But I'm just pointing out that you, you know, you're trying to help others. But let me tell you, you come home and you, you're happy. You're, you're happy with what you, you've got from doing it. So it's you, you get reward from doing it. As an instructor, when I was 30, up to 30 even, I, I've had this conversation. I can't tell you how many times in the last two weeks it's very odd that this keeps coming up but where you're talking about the the doing for other people how rewarding it can be for yourself until i got to a point where the as a coach that the people i was coaching became the focus instead of me as the coach i think a lot of it comes from being a fighter too being a fighter you're used to the attention and then as a coach, it was weird. I wanted too much attention for my coaching ability for too long, mm. which really limited my ability to help people to the degree that I'm capable of. Yeah, definitely. I would question that motivation. Yeah. And, yeah. And when I gave, when I got over myself and I really started to get into giving, that mutually beneficial trade came back like yeah. big time. And I'm very. I'm sitting here on the podcast as the host of a podcast, talking to everybody about it. And I talk quite a bit because I got a big ass mouth. But I honestly, when I say the next statement, you're gonna say you're full of shit because you're doing this whole podcasting. But I'm really comfortable sitting in the corner. 
I'm really comfortable with the spotlight on the guys. I'm really comfortable with people representing themselves because I'm developing relationships with people where I don't have – I'm really comfortable with the work that we do. They're comfortable with the work that we do and we have a relationship that has trust in it where before because I needed too much, nobody could ever trust me. So when people left, it was as much me pushing them away because of my ego as much it was be whatever. So like mm-hmm. it's very hard to trust somebody that's all about themselves. Agree. So I just give as much as I possibly – I give as much as I can without my wife kicking me out. <laughs> Because if I don't get some benefit to bring home with it, she gets a little pissed at me. Yeah, so I, I, I've found that balance where I, I give everything I can give. And I think the guys that are really doing what we do with me, they get that. And that's why it works. And I really am rooting for everyone's success. And I am the first one to say that if I think your success will be greater leaving here, go for it. Go somewhere else. I need you to. Because I need you to be successful. I don't want you to look back and be like, that's the guy who held me back. I want you to appreciate that I did everything I could and then when I felt like I couldn't do any more I found the next I helped mm-hmm. you get to that next level cuz yeah man that's that whole living by the by your code thing yeah oh I have to do it too as a physical therapist sometimes I can say look I can't fix this yeah you know it happens and and you and that's ego and money that you have to deal with you have to give up money and you have to address your ego yeah but ultimately and i think long term they're going to be happier because i'm the one that led them to the solution yeah but you do have to have an understanding of yourself to allow that process to happen and you have to have confidence in the process yeah i agree yeah. And even some patients, I can get them better to where they want to be within four visits. Could I drag it out to 12, 20 or something like that? I think they're happier in long term. It suits you better. And, yeah. And they're going to be they're going to market you that much. Better. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. There is no downside to doing the right thing. Yeah. For the right people, too, though. Yeah. You can't fix you can't sell the unsellable. Mm-hmm. You can't fix people that are not willing to be fixed. That's true. And that's like we've, we were talking about athletes that have come through the door over the years. And the, when you're young, you want everybody to get it. And I'm not saying I, I don't give up on anyone ever, but there becomes a self-reliance factor that some people have to demonstrate a little bit more to get more. Like you can't just give, 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 give to everyone and demand that they get it. You have to recognize that some people need their own they have to they, they have to find a little bit more before they're ready to take the step that they need to find what they really need to do to be successful. I mean, I have so many stories of guys. I got this will be my fifth time probably talking about Jenya. I Jenya Karashalov. You remember Big Jenya? That big like six foot seven dumb kid from Ocean Township, goofy kid, got in a lot of trouble. You were around at that time. He was really young at the time. You knew him when he was like fifteen. Yeah. But this kid just in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble with the law, selling things he shouldn't be selling, gets busted, big time problems, goes to the military, he's in boot camp, uh, they're crushing him in boot camp, and a light went off and he understood why I was the way I was with him and it allowed him to get through boot camp and then he appreciated the experience that he had with me training and then that got him to the next level and then this kid went from literally being busted trying to sell heroin on the Asbury Circle to getting to getting married, having a kid, getting a law degree, and being a member of uh, special forces in the army, part of a group that wow. he can't even tell us the name of. That's pretty he's, cool. He's jumping out of helicopters in the Philippines and Jeez. Afghanistan and living in Okinawa and is the tip of the sword. Cool. Tip of the sword. And 
turned it all around when it all started just to make sense. But the, the thing there was I thought I was a failure and I thought he was a failure, but I had to have patience to allow him to walk his own walk and allow it to come together for him when it was ready to come together for him. Exactly. It's not always going to be on your schedule. And he came back. Yeah. And he came back. Came back. He said, this is my experience. I get it. Thank you. That's all I need. I'm That's good. Great. That works. And it happens over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many guys we've left on weird terms and then we come back around and we have a conversation and we both feel better about it. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. It happens to me literally three, four times a year. There are people that I was kind of like, I don't know what happened there. And then I find out what happened and it makes me feel a lot better about how it went down because we all have to mature. I wasn't able to listen a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I don't know if I if I would even put myself in a position to have the opportunity to have that discussion. Like there, just it's all it's all growing up, man. It's just the maturation process. Uh, last question I'm gonna have for you: When you were 18, compare being 18 to how old you are now. Did you think it would be this? Because this, I'm at 43, going on 44. I I don't feel old. Jeez, 18 seems like a lifetime ago. I don't know if I thought about what. But you would look at a guy like us now, then, oh, and you'd be like, they're old. an old dude. Man, that, every, life must suck. It's really not that bad. No, I'm, I'm... I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy. Plus, you look at the 18-year-old, you could probably kick 99% of their asses anyway. I don't worry about that, but I'm just saying, just my daily existence is not as slow and painful as I thought it would be for an older person. No, I, I mean, I don't... I mean, physically, I feel some differences mentally nice to see the growth and I can clearly see your growth as you've explained and especially in the past 10 years I think we both kind of yeah. had pretty good journeys in the past 10 yeah, years yeah man uh, you know and that, that's more a mental thing versus a physical thing yeah but I, mean, I, could, I don't think we understood where the physical where the mental side was gonna get so good I agree on that you know because at 18 you just think you're really in a physical world especially yeah. both of us being athletes yeah and we have so much more time to grow our brain's never going to stop expanding. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where we are now and where we came from 10 years ago. I hope to say the same thing 10 years from now. Yeah, and we'll find some magic pill that's going to allow us to, like, expand our mind even more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think that's out there now. <laughs> I know. I actually do, too. <laughs> Shit, if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, he'll tell you he'll tell you 10 different things he thinks will expand your mind for you. Oh, I bet. Jesus. Mike. We've been going for a while. Have we? Yeah. Well, listen, so, we that just was, got to chat. Yeah. Thanks for We'll bring you back on again. I actually, you know what we'll do? Uh, we'll bring you on again, and let's just talk about Haiti. Fine. I, 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 and, and. Uh, oh, I got, I've got more stories. Yeah, we, we I'm, go that's way, that's like some heavy shit right there. Okay. So we need, we need to. We need to wake people up to the reality of what some people have to face each day that we flirt with the idea of, but you've got to share what the reality of coming face-to-face -face with that does to you. Okay. Another time. Don't go deep on it now. You almost made – you almost tapped me. I almost got see, you there. You see, see, I saw you start. I'm going to pull you back. Here's uh, what – here's, here's what – now Now you got to shamelessly plug yourself so uh, – Throw out your businesses, where people can find you, your businesses, whatever you want people to know. Sure. So I'm a physical therapist. I'm at Shore Wellness Center. It's 255 Monmouth Road in Oakhurst. And we've got Pliables in Marlboro. It's on the corner of 520 and 79. 
both fantastic places I'm 100% behind and believe in and um, happy to see you guys in there if you hear this on there please come in and mention this throw your boys company out there too because I'm going to give them a plug too I've seen their work you guys know that I'm really into marketing you know I'm into digital platforms they are two hardworking very creative individuals that if uh, you have any kind of need for basically creative creative solutions to marketing needs these these two could really help you yeah, out yeah check them out it's Rockwind Dominic and it's colossusmediagroup.com we really uh, are doing some cool stuff and my daughter Bella she does not have a business she is going to be my student going the traditional route and she's she's got a compassionate heart and, and she's going to do some pretty cool stuff I guarantee that too that's amazing yeah. so that is that is all good things. And yes, we will have you back and we're going to talk about Haiti. This is Brian Wright. You can find me at brianwright732.com. You could also find me at brianwright732 on Instagram and Twitter. The gym here is Killer Bee Combat Sports Academy in Oakhurst. You can find us at killerbcsa.com. And the podcast, The Hivecast, you can find us at thehivecast.com. We're on TuneIn, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud pretty much everywhere the easiest way to do it is go to the hivecast.com and you can listen right through there got to do a shout out to some of the amazing companies that have supported us from the beginning we got to start off every time with sucker punch entertainment they have they've been life changers for the athletes and myself in this gym if you are fortunate enough to be good enough to get them as uh, your representatives in the sport you're just a lucky human being. Fortunate. Uh, Alienware, Pure Spectrum. If you have, uh, if you have issues with any kind of inflammation, stuff like that, the CBD oil from Pure Spectrum is rock solid. It has helped me out tremendously. New Jersey Nutrition is one of Carl's biggest uh, sponsors for nutritional supplements. And if you are struggling with what to eat, you should check out Meal Plans to Go. Meal Plans to Go. They've been with Carl from the beginning, and they are the primary reason why he can make 185. So I think I've hit them all. I don't know how much else I can throw out there. But, Mike, i got to say thanks for coming in. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure, Brian. I look forward to doing it again and talking on some more topics, especially Haiti. Yeah, so we'll do this, uh, I don't know, give it a couple weeks. i got a lot of guests ahead of me. So Cool. All right, thanks. Good work. We are out.